Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. All right. Here's what I have planned. I want to spend a good deal of this episode, again, sort of just running a thread throughout the entire thing about brainwashing, and more specifically how discussing brainwashing and lying and the fact that we've all been lied to about a great many things, of course, throughout our entire lives. And we were born into this lying system and this lying matrix. That there's a thing that goes on, I think, that is really problematic is that some of the larger voices that exist, whether it be social media or just media in general, I guess, clearly they have a very hard problem getting down to the root of the matter. And they have a hard problem simply telling people that they've been lied to, that it doesn't have to be this long convoluted story as to why things are irrational or or not rational or however, again, you, you want to phrase it, but that it's just basic lying. And I'm going to get into the, again, just revisit it briefly, all of the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff. And as we know, there's a million examples stretching across numerous subjects, the climate change lie and vaccinations being safe in the medical industry and everything. If people just got to, to, again, the root of the problem and they simply said, look, you've been lied to, that person, of course, would bounce around and get loud with lots of explanations because they're trying to complicate it. And they're having a hard time recognizing that the simplest explanation is the one that is the most correct. And it's just that people have been lied to. And unfortunately, one of the reasons that these conversations continue to exist about all of these things that are not real and, and these constant debates and conversations back and forth, again, whether it be on, on podcasts or, uh, you know, any, any television show or news outlet, again, whatever it may be, school board meetings or, or city council meetings or whatever, is that the individuals who believe that they are right, of course, tend to be wrong. And if everybody's thinking alike, of course, as I've said, and as George Patton has said, someone's not thinking. It's profitable to continue the useless conversation. That's my, that's my ultimate point. That's why people like the Daily Wire, they're really not talking about anything different today than they talked about five years ago. People like Steven Crowder, same thing. All of these individuals, again, who are real gatekeepers, are not interested in getting down to the crux of the matter and then looking at individuals who believe that something is real when in fact it is not and simply saying, listen, you've been lied to. And then just stare at them. And just keep staring at them and say, wait a minute, you've been lied to. You're here talking to me and arguing and attempting to argue about climate change or gender dysphoria or there are multiple genders or all of this nonsense that countless people, again, continuously talk about. They can't get to the crux of the matter because, again, all of their subject content would go away in an instant. And if everybody all of a sudden recognized that they had been lied to and they all woke up at the same time, it would stop being profitable for the people like the Joe Rogans of the world and the RFKs of the world and all of these individuals. They have to keep this going. So they consistently sit on the fence and, and, and walk a tightrope, basically, to make sure that they don't go in one direction or another 
They just keep the conversation going in that straight line. But the fact is, is we have to shake that rope from underneath their feet. And we have to call these people out because they're not doing what they really should be doing with the voices that listen to them and the platforms that they have. They're incredibly massive. And if they just started to laugh off the fact that the people who believe that there are multiple genders or that the jabs, that the COVID jabs help people and are safe and effective, if we're not laughing at all of those individuals and simply saying, you've been lied to, you've been lied to, then we ourselves are perpetuating the problem. So one of the reasons I mention all of this and we'll continue to bring up numerous examples, kind of like I did in the last in the last episode when I was talking about Kirk Herbstreet and Deion Sanders. These individuals are dead asleep. They're dead asleep. And again, just to revisit that quickly, Kirk Herbstreet was talking again and, and, and using some rather choice words, I think, that give away the fact that he's that he's dead asleep. And I think I said he was. Uh, he lives in Centerville, Ohio. He doesn't. He's from Centerville, Ohio. I think he lives in Nashville, if uh, if memory serves. And that's what I was told. And and I think that's the case. Either way, he was saying things like, you know, with regard to his son who has permanent heart damage, that you know we've uh, we've encountered a setback. He called it a setback. It's not a setback. A setback is is too dismissive. Your son is being murdered by a medical industrial complex that has lied to you. That's the answer. And then, of course, Kirk Herbstreet is very dismissive when it comes to people having conversations on the internet and facts that exist on the internet. And you heard him in that last episode say to Pat McAfee, he said something like, Pat, I know that you and your crew are tied into the internet and and you do the internet thing, he called it. Well, there is no internet thing. There is only the truth. And the internet happens to be one of those places where you can find the truth, not our truth, none of these other convoluted uh, phrases that get used. There's just the truth. But that takes a curious person, and that takes a thinking individual. And then you have to play the game of process of elimination. And you have to start eliminating what places on the internet are telling you the truth and what places are not. And then start to pick up on pattern recognition. And how often are you seeing a particular thing or how often are you not seeing a particular thing? That again is why I bring up the brainwashing aspect. That if people just, if, if I was seeing people having conversations consistently, or they're simply looking at the other individual that they're debating or, or attempting to have a, a coherent conversation with. And the person who was in the right, who knows the truth, just looked at them and said, you've been brainwashed. You were born into this brainwashing system that tells you lies, and you believe things that are not real. Again, the thrashing around that would exist from that individual is almost demonic. It's almost demonic. I came across, again, a clip of a, of a woman. She's wearing a mask. She happens to be black, and she's talking to a guy who has... I've seen a couple of his videos before, but he'll go out on the street, and he'll, he'll ask individuals particular questions, sort of social dynamic questions like, hey, why are you still wearing a mask when no one's wearing masks? Things like that. And 
she starts to lose her mind the more that he talks and the more calm that he responds to her situation. She'll say things like, well, you're, you're a nationalist or you're a far right-wing extremist, she said. And then he says, why do you say that? What, what gives you that indication? She quite specifically looks at him and says, you have an American flag lapel pin. That's why you're a white nationalist. And he goes, I'm Middle Eastern, and I happen to live in America. And, and this is the problem with, with, with his response, too, is, is that he attempts to rationalize her stance by diminishing himself in the process. He should have doubled down and said, yes, I'm a nationalist because the real definition of nationalism is a love for one's country. It's not the Google definition that she believes, because that definition, of course, as we know, Google is a propagandist outlet and a platform, clearly, but their definition, of course, clearly labels anybody who identifies as a nationalist, as a neo-Nazi or a far right-wing extremist, and all these name and all these names and all this name calling, and none of it is true. And that's because, again, you can't rationalize with people who are that far gone. You can't, you can't have a, a coherent conversation with someone like that. She continues in the conversation, this woman, and she says, well, you're not even wearing a mask. Keep in mind, she still is, even today. This is a recent conversation. And she says, you're not wearing a mask, so I, I'm actually feeling unsafe because you're putting my life in danger as a result of not wearing a mask. And that's essentially the end of the conversation, and then the clip ends. You, you cannot reason with that. That is brainwashing. That's exactly what it is. And these people are dangerous. And these people are everywhere. They're all over the place. They're a danger to themselves, first and foremost, because psychologically they're gone. They haven't had a lobotomy, but their brain has been warped so much to the point where they not only believe things that are not real, but as we know, they will defend it to the very end, which as we know is the definition of what the matrix is. That the people who, who do not want to wake up don't know that they can wake up because they don't know they're asleep. And they will defend the matrix to their dying breath, which as we know is, is happening sooner rather than later. Here's another reason why I bring this up. I decided to watch Stu Peters the other night for the first time in a very long time because he's moved back to the 6 o'clock in the evening hour as opposed to 8 o'clock. I don't know what he thought. He, he, and his, he and the people around him thought that because Tucker Carlson was fired from Fox that he would somehow fill that audience void by moving his show to 8 o'clock. Well, that didn't happen. So now he's back to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, I watched his episode the other night, and I'll tell you what, I mean, he is full bore. No one's going to help us. Uh, no one's working on our behalf. We have to take back control ourselves 100%. We have to start pulling triggers. And then he'll say, but I'm not advocating for violence. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's absolutely, it's absolutely hilarious. And he was trying to get every single one of his guests to agree with him on that point. And many of them, of course, were. Here's the problem with, with Stu Peters again and, and his particular take on this, is that 
he finds it impossible that there are multiple dimensions of thinking and that there is a very positive operation taking place to wake up the masses, as, of course, you've heard me talk about at length, along with countless other people. I want to mention this very quickly, and this was a post on greatawakening.win that I think is appropriate. It's certainly something that's worth more thought, because again, the operation that took place in order to deprogram people and unprogram them was massive and, and immensely important. We wouldn't be where we are now if it wasn't for that. If hundreds of millions of people weren't paying attention again to those Q posts and those Q drops, then where would, be, where would we be? We would still be in the matrix. Many of us would still be trapped. Not all of us. A lot of people were waking up again on their own, but what did that, what did that Q operation do? It amplified it. And then they again, in those drops, and this was hilarious, they consistently said, when is the media going to ask the question? When is the media going to bring this up? Because under the ground, so to speak, even though it, was, it wasn't underground, it was above the media's wavelength of thought, but it was, it was gaining so much steam back in the day that the media had ultimately no choice but to bring it up and bring it into the mainstream. And they all coordinated their conversations around it, and they all said the same kinds of things. They said it was a conspiracy theory, that it's online anonymous posts that have no validity and, and none of this other stuff. And then they actually started to bring it up even to the president of the United States, who was Donald Trump. Of course, he's still the commander-in-chief. But they, they, they were forced to ultimately bring this up, which was the last thing they wanted. They didn't want to do that, which means, yes, there are good guys. And there are good guys controlling bad guys. And this is a very good thing. This is happening constantly. Again, the, the amount of revelations that have taken place this entire time are undeniable. It's undeniable. But you're finding out who the turncoats are. And you're consistently finding out who's willing to dismiss it and ignore it and even laugh at it. That's absolutely ridiculous. Why would someone laugh at something that they've learned so much from? that has deprogrammed them and gotten them to think on different wavelengths. This is what Stu Peters is incapable of doing. And again, I've had people reach out to me and say, you know, in the comments section, under a lot of Stu Peters' posts and uh, a lot of the things on social media, that he glows harder than an FBI agent. You know, I don't know if he has ties to the feds or not. I just know that he specifically is trying to ramp things up and in the process, he's really talking out of both sides of his mouth because he's trying, to, he's trying to get people to support lawsuits against particular causes that, of course, have damaged numerous people, specifically that are shot-related or hospital murder-related. And at the exact same time, out of the other side of his mouth, he says, we can't trust the judiciary. Well, if that's true, then why are you giving money to these individuals so that they can fight the legal system and fight these people in a court of law? Which leads me again to this Great Awakening post, and I'm going to read this, and then I want to read one of the laws that specifically gets brought up at the end of this post. Here's what it says, quote, This is an information war. I would bet my life savings every corrupt politician, deep state actor in our government was following the Q-drops, just like we were. Then they were collaborating behind the scenes, much like we do here. 
says the deep state were using secret Google servers in foreign locations and using methods and prevented the NSA from collecting their internal conversations, or internet conversations, rather. They thought they were being tricky. Unfortunately for them, the Q team were monitoring their conversations and knew what their plans were as they made them. Q told us disinformation was necessary. Disinformation keeps us confused also. It kept the enemy confused. I'm going to stop the post there real quick before I keep reading. There were posts that were clearly telling us that the enemy was using PlayStations and the PlayStation online platform along with Xbox and other video game streaming platforms to communicate with one another. That was on purpose. I mean, we were told that, and that was a thing that was happening. And then we were being shown, isn't it interesting that the PlayStation system and the online PlayStation system would get turned off and that the online access wouldn't work anymore? Same thing with Xbox, same thing with these other video game streaming platforms where you can play a game and communicate with one another as seeming anonymous people, maybe using a VPN, and then the enemy was communicating that way because they knew that their other channels of communication were shut off or certainly diminished or you know disappearing. Well, why would that be the case? Again, for someone to say that there aren't good people behind the scenes fighting in this war, that person has lost the plot. There most certainly are very good people. And, I might add, and this is rather important, there are things that are going to take place that we are never going to be told and that we can't comprehend. But we have to assume that it's happening on a daily basis, all day long, that there are people on top of this all of the time, just like, frankly, we are at our own level. We're not supposed to know everything because we can't. But there's a lot of information that we're being told these days because of all of the information that exists out there that we'd still have the ability to connect dots and focus on what's really going on. So, let me continue with this. It says, disinformation would make the enemy modify their plans based on the new fake information. This reaction move moves rather the enemy in a direction Q is hoping for and stops them from walking through the front door, like the Q post below suggests. It says, instead of walking through the front door, the enemy are bouncing off the doorframe each time, moving the movie and the timeline in a direction that was predetermined. Once the enemy is at their new location, provide more Q drops and start the ball rolling again. Eventually, the enemy is backed into a cage, and the door can be shut. I think most of the Q plan has run its course. Evidence has been gathered. Guilty parties have been marked. Period. It says, today, I think that we are watching a continuous series of news stories, whistleblowers, government findings that sends the enemy running in different directions to cover up their tracks. It is not always the crime that gets you. The cover-up, it shows guilt. It shows you were knowingly involved. Like Adam Schiff when he was talking with John Durham. Same thing. He looked like a deer in headlights. And he was trying to get John Durham again to admit to some wrongdoing or some procedural step that, that he didn't engage in that he should have. None of that's true. And John Durham made a dig at Adam Schiff to remind him that even he's been duped 
regarding phone calls and dissolving information and lying to people over phone calls with foreigners that he thought were real when in fact they weren't. When it came to, you know, political stuff regarding Donald Trump. The post wraps up here and it says the following, quote, The stage must be set. This means showing the American people that every branch of your government is corrupt. What have, what have we been witnessing recently? The executive, legislative, and judicial systems are functioning unconstitutionally. All the three-letter agencies are coordinating as one big corrupt organization. This leaves the American people with no avenue to regain control of the government. What happens next? It's very simple, and this link explains it nicely. And they link the following. This is 10 U.S. Code, subsection 253, Interference with State and Federal Law, it says. And here's what it says. It's rather brief. It says, The President... By using the militia or the armed forces or both, or by any other means, shall take such measures as he considers necessary to suppress, in a state, any insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination, or conspiracy, if it, number one, so hinders the, ex the execution of the laws of that state and of the United States within the state that any part or class of its people is deprived of a right, privilege, immunity, or protection named in the Constitution and secured by law. And the constituted authorities of that state are unable, fail, or refuse to protect that right, privilege, or immunity, or to give that protection, or, number two, opposes or obstructs the execution of the laws of the United States or impedes the course of justice under those laws. It says, In any situation covered by Clause 1, the state shall be considered to have denied the equal protection of the laws secured by the Constitution. And then there are numerous references and other statutes and subcodes or subsections, rather. The point is, is that the president has the ability to use the military to infiltrate every aspect of the United States government, even at the state level. Does this mean a soft martial law in the future? I don't know. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. Again, I've brought this history, history lesson up before. I'll bring it again because it's relevant. When Adolf Hitler was elected president by the people of Germany, he was elected because, again, they were all poor. Crime was at an all-time high. Degeneracy was at an all-time high. Unemployment was at an all-time high. And their currency was worthless. So they started their own banking system. They kicked out the foreign bankers. They, they locked up the secret societies. They rid their country of Freemasonry to the best of their ability, although it, you know, it, it went underground as it does everywhere. And they brought their people back to a state of national pride. What he also did, which was rather important, is he took control of his entire cabinet and the politicians around him because he knew that they were corrupt and that they were going to work against, against him. So they had it in their laws and in their statutes that he could do that. Now, of course, the mistelling of history and the lying of, of 
history textbooks and certainly the people who peddle those books, what have they told you about that action? Well, they would say he was a dictator. Well, that's not true. That isn't the action of a dictator. That's the action of someone who understands who the enemy is, how deep the enemy is entrenched, and the only way that we can get rid of them is to gather intelligence on where they are, what they're doing, where they're located, what crimes they've been engaging in, how they've been working against the people of their country. And then we will either arrest them, expel them, we will, we will do a number of things, but we'll basically just get rid of them and their business. People, again, mistell that history on a constant basis. Just like you heard me bring up Matt Walsh in the last episode, same thing. People will blindly believe a false telling of history, regardless of who it's coming from. And then, of course, they'll, they'll lie about the situations back in the 30s and early 30s regarding Germany, and they'll say, well, he would enter businesses with his brown shirts and blah, blah, blah. None of that's true. He would walk in with the police force. And they would get rid of the degenerate textbooks and all of the materials that were being used and the experiments that were being done on people. And then he would confiscate the building and either destroy the building or repurpose the building. And then if the individuals, again, were criminals who were engaging in crimes within these buildings, then he would have them arrested under their laws. He didn't have them executed or anything like that. He would just, again, have a trial. They were doing this. They were working against the government, put them in prison. Or he would just cast them out into society and say, we own your building now. You don't. That's how bad things were back then. I mentioned that Q post and that United States law because the same thing can happen here. The same exact thing. Case in point, I was going to mention this later, but I'll mention it now because it's it, ties directly to it. Georgetown University is a cesspool of criminals. It's the it's the uh it's the backstop. Uh it's the little league backstop or the big league backstop or the uh you know whatever metaphor you want to use. It's the cesspool of all of the criminals that exist within government and the medical profession to be given a position at Georgetown University, and now, allegedly, Anthony Fauci has been given a position at Georgetown University. Georgetown University has been hiring some of the largest criminals in the history of our country, and traitors in the history of our country, for a very long time. This means they are harbingers of criminals, and giving safe havens, so they think, to criminals. The President of the United States has the authority by law to institute a military action against Georgetown University and take it over and eliminate it. They could eliminate it. They could go through, arrest all of the individuals who have engaged in numerous crimes, stop funding the university, and it would cease to exist. This can happen. This is a thing. This is the step in our law that we have not seen take place yet. And I'm not hoping that we'll see it. I think it's only a matter of time before we do, but I also believe that it will happen a little more quietly than maybe it did back in the 1930s in Germany. 
They had to move quickly then. And yes, I think we have to move quickly here and we have to move quickly also, but we're also trying to keep civil war and chaos at a minimum because the enemy still has moves that they can make and plans that they can make. But students can't enroll in a Georgetown University or a place like that if it's not being funded and it no longer exists. So if you slowly destroy it, rather than dropping a bomb on it, which I know would be entertaining for many people, myself included, with Fauci and you know the other individuals who, who testified against uh, Donald Trump before his fake impeachment regarding the whole Ukraine phone call and all of that, there's a woman's face in, in my head that I can remember. Uh, her name was like Marie something. Yabramovich, I believe was her name, and the Fiona Hills of the world and, and the, all these people. Do you remember them? All those individuals, again, that testified against Trump in those fake hearings back before, uh, I guess it was the fall of 2019. Those individuals all work there. They all work at Georgetown University. But they won't be working there if it doesn't exist, and they certainly won't be working there if they're arrested for, for treason and sedition and conspiracy to commit treason and sedition. This is, this is an avenue that, that isn't being discussed at great length in this information war, that our country and our military and the commander-in-chief have the ability to make that move regarding endless institutions, planned parenthood any university across the United States, uh, hospital systems, you can, you can pick anything you want, K-12 systems of education, or as we know, brainwashing, whatever, you, whatever it is, they have the ability to completely overrun them and destroy them. The same is true with government organizations also. The military has the ability to eliminate the CIA. The military has the ability to eliminate the FBI. Maybe that's happening. Maybe they're just keeping offices open to, again, make it look like these offices are really open to the masses when, in fact, maybe they're not. I don't know, but I do know that that military action from a commander-in-chief does exist as an option, and it's just one that we haven't publicly seen on a grand scale yet. So I just wanted to end with that. I wanted to bring that to your attention. I, I like the post. It makes, it makes sense to me. The law is right here, Cornell Law School. It's in their Legal Information Institute where they highlight all of the different codes and subsections. It's titled Interference with State and Federal Law, that you get to do that. They get to take these places over using the military when it's proven that the individuals working for the government at the state and local level are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I know that this is one of those things that's been discussed before regarding military action at particular locations all across the United States and just sweeping across the United States and getting rid of city councils and mayors and uh, county commissioners and so on and so forth because none of these people are working in our best interests. It has to be the military, because if it's us, it isn't going to be enough of us. But Stu Peters, again, wants it to be us. He wants all of us to be on the front line, holding hands side by side while we have a gun in the other, and we just go building to building, cutting people down. That really can't happen. 
because we will have our own people fighting against us and even awake people fighting against us and that's not that's not viable that's not a viable situation which is why Stu yells a lot on his show and he doesn't think multidimensionally about multiple different options let alone the law so with that said I just wanted to bring that again to your attention and it kind of leads to this very quickly before I get into some education related things again you heard me mention in the last episode the document from the Um, Director of National Intelligence, allegedly, simply saying that the CIA and the FBI have come out with statements about the origins of SARS-CoV-2. All that document really did was prove that if the CIA said what they said and the FBI said what they said, then both of those institutions are lying, which means both of those institutions are in on it. Well, now there's this document, which is making the rounds. The CISA document, the weaponization of CISA, it is titled, How a Cybersecurity Agency Colluded with Big Tech and Disinformation Partners to Censor Americans. And this is from the interim staff report of the Committee on the Judiciary and the Select Subcommittee of the Weaponization of the Federal Government from the U.S. House of Representatives. And this was from Monday, uh, Monday's release. So th- there's just a couple of points here that, that I want to bring up here. First of all, CISA stands for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And I want to read through a few points here that they highlight. They said this interim staff report details, among other things, that, number one, CISA is working with federal partners to mature a whole-of-government approach to curbing alleged misinformation and disinformation. Says number two, these are bullet points, CISA considered the creation of an anti-misinformation rapid response team, quote-unquote, capable of physically deploying across the United States. It also says CISA moved its censorship operation to a CISA-funded nonprofit after CISA and the Biden administration were sued in federal court implicitly admitting that its censorship activities are unconstitutional. CISA wanted the I'm sorry, wanted to use the same CISA-funded nonprofit as its mouthpiece to avoid the appearance of government propaganda. And then finally it says members of CISA's advisory committee Uh, agonized that it was only, oh, this is a quote, only a matter of time before someone realizes we exist and starts asking about our work, unquote. What this document proves from this subcommittee on the weaponization of the government against the people is, number one, that's the name of the committee. It's about it's about the weaponization of the government against the people. Number two, they have it in CISA's own words that they are coming after the American people. So what does this document show? It shows that CISA doesn't need to exist. CISA is the long arm and the strong arm of the government as one institution separate from all others, but working together with all others to weaponize themselves against us. That's what this document lays out. Again, it is a 36-page document, and uh, 
and it's overwhelming. It's beyond overwhelming. Now, here's what I want to do. I just want to skip to the conclusion, which is page 37 of this PDF, and I will put this document on my website again under the Government Documents tab that is this ongoing list of government documents. But this is, this is an important one. It starts, it's just one page, it's three paragraphs. Uh, it starts, it just says conclusion at the top, and it has a quote from Barack Obama. It says, quote, silencing those who disagree with us is a sign of weakness, not strength, and it won't lead to progress. That's rich and that's hilarious. He, of course, is a pathological liar, and this is allegedly a quote from him from April of this year. So here's the first paragraph. It says, quote, this is the conclusion again. In 2019, CIS's chief counsel claimed, quote, we are not law enforcement and we're not the intelligence community, unquote. In theory, the statement is accurate. CISA is not a law enforcement agency and is not authorized to act as an intelligence agency. But in practice, that is how CISA has behaved, aggregating to itself the authority to conduct surveillance of Americans on social media. CISA expanded its unconstitutional practice by developing an elaborate social media censor censorship apparatus spanning multiple organizations in order to facilitate the censorship of Americans' political speech both directly and by proxy. There is no constitutionality, viable, legal authority that allows CISA to engage in this or any other kind of censorship. Thus, not only does CISA's conduct, conduct rather, violate the First Amendment, it also disregards the basic principle of the separation of powers, which prohibits agencies from acting outside of their congressionally delegated sphere. Second paragraph. As Suzanne Spaulding, the former CIA legal advisor and MDM subcommittee member, uh, presaged, it was, quote, only a matter of time before someone realizes we exist and starts asking about CIS's repeated violations of the First Amendment. CIS's attempt to cover up its surveillance and censorship operations will not rectify the damage inflicted on the American people by government-induced censorship. Neither CIS's scrubbing of its website nor the Biden administration's stalling of records requests can conceal the true nature of CIS's work in combating MDM. Final paragraph, quote, CISA must be reined in, as must the Biden administration's whole-of-government approach to social media censorship. Every American has the right to express his or her opinion online and to receive information from others. Government classifications of opinions as misinformation, quote-unquote, or disinformation, quote-unquote, do not nullify the First Amendment's guarantees. A free and democratic society is impossible under a government that acts as an ultimate arbiter of truth in political discourse. To better inform legislative efforts to end government censorship on Internet and protect Americans' rights guaranteed by the First Amendment, the committee and select subcommittee will continue to investigate the extent of CISA's and other executive branch agencies' interactions with social media platforms, unquote. That Barack Obama quote, by the way, as it says here in the reference page or the footnotes of this page, was apparently from Twitter. Now again, do we believe that 
Barack Obama is in control of his Twitter account? I don't think so. I don't think he is. I think somebody else is in control of it. That's my personal opinion. But uh, yeah. Either way, it's not that CISA needs to be reined in, it's that it needs to be eliminated, as do everybody in every organization that are working with such committees and such groups. This is the weaponization of the government against us to eliminate us. If they take away our ability to tell the truth, then they take away the ability for us to get information out to people to save their lives so that they can make the best and most well-informed decision. I mean, I'm I'm a very small case of this. I'm a very small case, and I'm not one of these people, again, that harps on getting kicked off of Twitter and blah, 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 and I should get paid money because I was deplatformed on this, that, or the other. Very quickly, again, just to revisit, this show was deleted the day of and the day before the inauguration, the fake inauguration of Joe Biden. Was that CISA working with the podcasting stream Anchor in order to say, you need to delete these accounts because they were already surveilling me? It's possible. It's highly possible. What, what occurred over the next six months was equally as possible and beyond plausible. And that's when Amazon started to delete my storm books one by one. There were at least 10 storm books or almost 12 storm books that were up on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback form. And they immediately started eliminating them one at a time. So instead of there being 14 volumes of that book series out, which was chronicling what was happening in our country and around the world from, again, March of 2020 all the way through Easter of 2021. They were deleting the volumes one at a time via Amazon. Is Amazon in on it too? Of course they are. Was CISA working with Amazon to censor things? Of course. So I'm just one small example, but there's endless people out there who are experiencing the same things and probably far worse. I just wanted to bring this document to, to your attention because, again, this is an example of one of the organizations and the people within these organizations that have to be rounded up by the military and could be based on law. Now, keeping the brainwashing apparatus going here and keeping this thread of brainwashing going throughout this, because clearly that's what CISA was doing when you suppress free speech and you suppress an open and free dialogue and the truth about the world we live in and history and all of that. When you do all of that, you're, you're perpetuating the brainwashing among the masses because they don't even know where to go to get information. They're too busy searching Google for their answers. This leads me to some education-related things, three major stories, really. The first here is from the Detroit City Wire, and this was from, uh, well, just the other day, actually. It's titled, Report, Royal Oak School's DEI Coordinator, Dr. Kimberly Martin, attended teacher webinar to learn tips on, quote, subversively and quietly encouraging students to cross-dress. This is a person who is beyond brainwashed and doesn't know it, which means, in my opinion, as we know, the brainwashed only surround themselves with the other brainwashed. But your response to someone like this should be looking them in the face and simply saying, you're brainwashed. 
you have no idea what you're doing and why you're doing it. You're brainwashed. And then, as we know, as I said earlier, you would see them flail about in the matrix and scream and shout and attempt to argue and then be dismissive and then argue again and whatever else. The only response to these people is, you are brainwashed. You simply believe things that are not real, and you are perpetuating these things that are not real. So, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't a long article, but it, it says the following here. It says, quote, dozens of Midwestern teachers met online this week and traded tips on helping trans students change gender at school without their parents' knowledge while criticizing a raft of new Republican laws on sex and identity, reported the Daily Mail. Quote, in the four-hour workshop, they discussed helping trans students in the face of new laws in Republican-run states on gender, pronouns, names, parents' rights, bathroom access, it says, and sports teams. It says some teachers said that they followed the rules, but others discussed being subversive, quote-unquote, how their personal code of ethics trumped laws, and how to hide a trans student's new name and gender from their parents, said the report. The webinar was hosted by Great Lakes Equity Center which says it's funded by the U.S. Department of Education. And see, Miguel Cardona will come out and tell people that they are nonpartisan, that they are not political, and he'll say this under oath. He's a liar. Anybody who works for the U.S. Department of Education who says that they are nonpartisan is pathological. No way around that one. And this right here, again, all of these organizations, these Great Lake Equity Centers and all of this other stuff, these are organizations that are working against law along with the U.S. Department of Education, which means these individuals and these organizations can be taken over by the military, by law. It continues, it says, quote, We're working with our record-keeping system so that certain screens can be seen by the parents. If there's a nickname in there, we're trying to hide, Martin told the online gathering, said Martin according to the report. Martin has worked at Royal Oaks schools since June 1st of 2021, according to the school district's website. The website said Martin is a dedicated social justice advocate and diversity consultant. She graduated with a bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan, has a master's in business and administration from Clark Atlanta University, also has a PhD in higher education leadership from Oakland University. Martin previously worked as the assistant dean of students at Purdue University and the diversity and inclusion coordinator at Oakland University, William Beaumont School of Medicine, the director of cultural center at the University of Louisville and the Director of Multicultural Programs at Missouri State University. She's worked lots of places, moved around an awful lot. Is it because she's getting fired, or is it because it's part of an indoctrination game that's being played? Brainwashing. She's brainwashed, she's being used, she doesn't know it. 
because the entire message is all about brainwashing to the point where children will cut their genitals off and ultimately kill themselves. If that's not brainwashing, I don't know what is. It's a perfect example of it right there. Here's another one. Again, on the wrong end of things on this one, too, when you're trying to do the right thing. This is from the Gateway Pundit. Texas College fires biological professor for teaching students that sex is determined by chromosomes. Silly guy, what was he thinking? It says in November, four students walked out of Dr. Johnson Varkey's lecture over the standard teaching about X and Y chromosomes, according to the First Liberty Institute, a law firm representing the professor. The law firm has now sent a letter to St. Philip's College asking them to immediately reinstate Dr. Varkey to his position and clear his record of any wrongdoing. It says in his role as an adjunct professor, Dr. Varkey taught human anatomy and physiology to more than 1,500 students since 2003. First Liberty wrote in a press release, quote, During Dr. Varkey's 20-year employment as a biology professor at St. Philip's College, he consistently received exemplary performance reviews and was never subject to discipline. Throughout that time, he never discussed with any student his personal views, religious or otherwise, on human gender or sexuality. Two months after the walkout in January, Dr. Varkey received a notice of discipline and termination of employment and contract letter stating that the school received numerous complaints, quote-unquote, about his religious preaching, discriminatory comments about homosexuals and transgender individuals, anti-abortion rhetoric, and misogynistic banter, and that his teaching, quote, pushed beyond the bounds of academic freedom with his personal opinions that were offensive to many individuals in the classroom, according to First Liberty. You see the double standard here. If you're a left-wing nut job and you spew all of the things that you believe to be real, which of course are not, you're allowed to do that. But if someone in his position who has his take, which is rooted in fact, says what he's saying, he gets the axe. This is another example of a college that has lost the plot. Just another example of a place that should be taken over by the military if possible. So, he's got a lawsuit. He's suing. He should. He should win. Uh, maybe some settlement down the line. Who's to know? But that's just another perfect example of the brainwashing right there. And if they can't see the double standard, then they themselves are beyond brainwashed. That, that just proves it. Here's another one. Washington Free Beacon. Biden administration says COVID spending for schools will boost test scores. Districts used the funds for staff bonuses. It then says, with reading and math scores at decade lows, Miguel Cardona, the secretary of the Department of Education, tout, touts positive results, he says. It says, decades-low 8th grade reading and math scores are no reason to be discouraged. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona said Wednesday because the Biden administration's, quote, historic COVID-era school spending is poised to turn the tide. In many districts, a large portion of those funds have already been spent on lucrative staff bonuses. We, we know what this means. What's the definition of insanity? Repeating the same thing and expecting a different result. 
If they believe that throwing money at the problem is going to solve the problem, they are wrong. What we're really talking about here regarding the Department of Education and all of these COVID funds, of course, is money laundering. All of these organizations, these DEI programs, all these grants, all this funding, it's just giant money laundering. And now what they've done, of course, is they've taken that COVID cash and renovated their schools with it. Now, here's the other thing, and this ties back to an issue that has been brought up years ago. And one that I've, of course, covered at length here on the show is that the definition of the word mandate also states that it doesn't not just mean mandatory, which it doesn't mean mandatory. It means voluntary participation. But what it also means is, is you can't implement something if you yourself are being paid to implement it. Now, were schools paid money to implement measures on the people who work within those institutions? The answer is yes. And school boards, I might add, including the local one where I live, didn't hesitate whatsoever when it came to looking parents and and community members in the face and saying, we are not being paid to mask children. That is false. They were, because on the same directive paperwork that all school districts received, one of the parameters in order for receiving COVID funds was to have in place, quote-unquote, mitigation measures in order to ensure the health and safety of the people who attend. Well, one of those mitigation measures was mask wearing. And they received money as a result. And then, of course, they had these backdoor deals with the testing companies, which we know doesn't test anything. That was a money laundering operation. I wrote about that on Substack. Same thing. And same thing with the masking also. Well, we've received all these masks because of the funds, and we're spending all of this money because, again, we, we care about the safety and well-being of everybody who attends, and we want everybody to, to do what they need to do to remain safe. All of it was a lie. It was all brainwashing. We know this. But they were lying directly to everybody else because, again, they were receiving money for implementing these kinds of measures and then telling people that they weren't receiving money for implementing these measures. And now, they're, they're, at least in some states, like New Mexico, which I brought up again in the last Substack also, is they're paying their teachers more money because they think that that's going to save the education system. All that's going to do is cause those teachers to double down on their brainwashing and the things that they believe to be real, which are not. It. Um, how do I put this? It justifies and rationalizes their own frame of mind. It's the reward. It's Pavlov's dog all over again. It's just their reward again for, for not complaining and not making noise and doing what you're told. Here's more money. This is going to make things worse. These organizations and these radical programs are also, as I just stated, receiving more money also, which means they're going to find their way deeper into American K-12 and university professional development, and universities are already working with K-12 schools on a professional development level, and what are they really developing? All they're doing is developing more of the brainwashed mentality.
They can't be saved. They cannot be helped. The Department of Education has got to be eliminated. Period. This is another reason, again, and it stretches back to the people I was bringing up at the beginning. The individuals that aren't having the correct conversations and perpetuating the, are frankly perpetuating the problem because they're not getting down to the root cause. It's why I don't like Charlie Kirk. It's why I don't like people of, of that wavelength of thought. He's said time and time again, we're not going to get rid of the Department of Education. I think it's a lost cause getting rid of it, and, uh, and that's just the way that it's going to be. We're just going to have to manage it and deal with it, and hopefully we can get somebody in that's good and blah, blah, blah. Charlie Kirk, again, is incapable of thinking multidimensionally about just about anything, just about anything, and, and that's the problem. The American people can do without the Department of Education. The so-called education system is going to cease to exist in the future. This is beyond Charlie Kirk's wavelength of, of thought. He can't think that far down the line. He doesn't understand that our society existed, and certainly in a more healthy manner, when it didn't have the American K-12 public education and the Prussian education system. He doesn't, he doesn't know this. So what does he do? He walks that tightrope just like the Michael Knowleses of the world and the Ben Shapiros and everybody else. And they walk that tightrope because they have to maintain that conversation, that back and forth. Oh, the wind's blowing a little in this direction. Well, I'll lean that way. And it's blowing in this direction. Now I'll lean that way. But they're still walking on the same rope. I'm saying we need to burn the rope. Get rid of the rope. Let the conversations that aren't addressing the real problem go away and then call it for what it is. If you believe that the Department of Education needs to exist or needs to continue to exist in one form or another, you are brainwashed, and you're perpetuating the problem. So there you go. That's my summary on that. A couple of jab-related things, and then I want to end with a quick little jab story. Uh, let's see here. Basketball player, 28-year-old, died, ironically enough, during a stress test. Long after he took the shots and knew that he had myocarditis and that the shots gave him myocarditis, but during a stress test to see how his heart would handle things in his current state, he ended up dying in the process. This is from The Blaze. Professional basketball player dies suddenly of heart attack. 28-year-old previously blamed COVID vaccine from myocarditis after collapsing on the court. Oscar Cabrera Adams uh, had previously collapsed on the court during a game and subsequently blamed the COVID vaccine for his quote-unquote damn myocarditis. Uh, let's see. Collapsed in December of 2021 when he was 26 years old. Fainted during a game in Spain and was transported to a local hospital. Was taking a stress test recently and died of a heart attack. So there's that. There's also this. From the expose, specifically tying in 5G and the lie that is bird flu. I love how they perpetuate these lies. Again, when someone talks about bird flu, your response to them should be, that's not true, there's no such thing. It's a lie, bird flu. And then they'll say, well, what do you mean it's a lie? And you say, well, the reason that birds are dying isn't because of a flu. It's because of radiation. It's because of 5G. That's why they're dying. And that's the truth. 
The title of this is, It Wasn't Bird Flu That Killed Wild Birds in Europe Last Spring, It Was Radiation Sickness. Again, all of that footage that we've seen over the years of massive flocks of birds all dead in a parking lot, even in the United States, all across the United States, dead in the road, uh, you know, dead all over the place. It's not some bird flu. It is quite literally electromagnetic radiation and electromagnetic frequencies. And they go through the history of it rather, uh, in, in, well, in a rather comprehensive way, which is fantastic. Again, these expose articles are lengthy, but man, are they, they're excellent. They're absolutely excellent. It says it bears repeating that influenza, whether in people, animals, or birds, has never been demonstrated to be a contagious disease. That's true. That was proven a long time ago. So it's, no, it's not a bird flu. This is just flat out chemtrail poisoning combined with 5G radiation and numerous other poisons that exist within our environment that are created by government. They bring up 4G antennas being added to three cell phone towers in particular areas across Europe. One year later, they talk about uh, different swarms of birds being found dead. It's just over and over and over again, and they bring up numerous examples, but you can check that out on your own if you're interested. Uh, this, is, this is something I personally have observed. I've observed less birds over the last winter this past winter than ever before. And uh, yeah, I mean, this summer's been pretty good. The, the, the bird count's been rather high, but in, in, this past winter, it was noticeably absent. And it wasn't just the food that I was using because I've used the same kind of food. Now it's possible that the bird food that's been used here is, uh, is not great or has changed in some way, but the birds weren't eating it because the birds weren't around. So. Again, this is one of those eyeball tests that, that really can make a difference and uh, help us connect some dots here. And of course, people saying that it's bird flu, well, they're brainwashed. They're just perpetuating a mainstream media lie. And that leads me to this, and I'll conclude with this. This was a post on Reddit, and one of the observations that a number of people are making is that the people who are still on Reddit are jabbed and have jabbed family members and friends, and they are noticing and, and conversing more, I should say, about the impacts of the jabs on people and what they are seeing. So here is a particular post I just wanted to bring your attention. This is an individual who titled this the following, quote, I'm feeling down because vaxxed people in my family are so different. They said the following, quote, I feel depressed today because I noticed personality changes in a close family member. Again, they said, it seems like I lost true connection with most of the vaxxed people in my life. Some just act passive-aggressive and talk down to me. Some, don't, some simply don't call. Others are just weirdly aggressive and stressed. Still others doubled down on drinking and confessions. Others, perfect marriages are on the brink. Everyone is exhibiting instability and depression. I used to be the depressed, unstable one. I was the black sheep, too. One family member even admitted that it was the V and told me, well, at least I didn't get it, like I had gotten lucky, and someone I was to, and somehow, rather, I was to blame for their situation. 
Now, instead of being loved and accepted in my family, I'm the object of scorn, derision, or envy. I warned everyone before they did it. I didn't think it was a good idea. They mocked me or just disregarded it. Now I feel disconnected and even terrified because I know they are no longer with me, at least in the way I like. Unquote. This individual is not alone. This is remarkably common. That behavior right there fits within numerous individuals within my family, numerous individuals within everyone's family, workplaces, etc., etc., etc. It's nonstop, and it's going to continue to exist. But again, we were certainly chosen. We were chosen for this. We were chosen to witness this. We were chosen to participate in this, to see this. And then we were chosen to bring this to the attention of others so that they know that they're not alone and that we can all pay attention to all of this together, but at the exact same time, attempt to do something about it and educate as many people as we possibly can about what's really going on and how deep all of this really goes. But there are greener hills on the other side. There are bluer skies on the other side. There is no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. I'll end with just two things here very quickly. I know that I harp on this show on the subject of homeschooling and how important and vital it is, certainly in the information war that we continue to experience. I'm not going to waver in that, in that regard. One of the impacts of the brainwashing that has, exist through, has existed rather throughout this entire time, and certainly through generations, is that people believe that there has to be a dual-income family in order for a family to exist. This is not true. And that number two, it just depends, of course, on how you live and, and what resources the individuals have, and then, of course, what you spend with the money that you do have. I'm not saying it's easy for everybody. I'm certain that it is not. But with that said, there is also this, this false belief that a child in particular one who can already read and write, needs a parent present in order to read and write. That's not true either. And you've heard me mention the Abeka system before. This is one of the things that the Abeka system sets up. The Abeka system sets up a child in front of a computer with books, but also instruction from adults in taped, in taped videos so that they can follow along with these videos and do what the videos are telling them to do and do what the licensed teacher is telling them to do. This, this is important. This is a big deal. Because again, if you think about it, in the K-12 environment, there are no parents around anyway. Yes, there are people who work in these environments who are parents, but the child's parent is not present. Which means, what's the difference? between a K-12 environment theoretically and a home environment. The major difference, as we know, is safety. The major difference has to do with content. But one of the things I think that a lot of individuals are unable to see is that a child has the ability to learn when someone else is teaching them, even when that someone else is not their parent standing next to them at a dinner table or sitting next to them at a dinner table, looking over their shoulder or sitting right next to them and observing every single thing they write and every move they make. 
they don't do that in a K-12 environment, which means it doesn't need to be reproduced in the home environment. And then it brings into question, of course, and I've mentioned this before, what, it, what is it that you're teaching your child? Are you teaching your child that it's okay to stay home by themselves as long as certain parameters are set up while both parents are off at work? Are you even doing that? Or are you simply saying, I can't leave my child home alone because my child won't know what to do? Well, why don't they know what to do? Whose responsibility is it to teach your child what to do in certain situations? It's the parent's responsibility. See, they've gotten away from, and by they I mean many parents have gotten away from being the parent and simply relying on government to teach their child everything, including how to be a person. Well, ladies and gentlemen, how's that going so far? (laughs) I mean, seriously, how's that going? How's it going when government plays the parent? I fully understand that the K-12 apparatus exists for certain students because it has to. It has to exist for those who are seriously disabled, either learning physically or in another manner, and and that they have to exist within a contained environment, um, typically isolated from quote-unquote gen pop, because they have particular needs that can't be met in gen pop. My point is, is that the evolution of American K-12 education has now gotten to the point where everybody has quote-unquote serious needs who is in gen pop. In the general population of a K-12 environment, they have no idea that they're being brainwashed, not a clue. And that right there is the power of brainwashing. It's that powerful. It's so powerful that a person will willfully walk right into the environment where it's occurring and they have absolutely no idea. The only answer to that is to arrive at that fact, that singular fact that that is happening, it's been happening, and we were born into it, and that you have to run away from that. That's it. Once you make that move, and yes, there are learning pains and growing pains, and that's the way that it works. It will never be a decision you regret because not only are you getting closer to God, and that's an inevitability, but you're saving someone's life, and that someone is your child. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I will catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.